Welcome to the third episode of 400 Years of Hate. In this episode, we will go over the issue of racism and how it affects today's world and talk about racism in our own lives. Today, I'll be starting off the episode with research and facts about racism and police brutality in today's world. Right now, I'm sure people know what's going on. Recently, there has been a rise in hate crimes towards the Asian community. There's people who have been racist to this community just because of COVID-19. I will be sharing an article I found from the New York Times. One example of Asian hate crimes is when a Chinese man was walking home near Chinatown in Manhattan. He was walking home when a stranger ran up behind him and plunged a knife into his back. Asian Americans say this incident was widely seen as just the latest example of racially targeted violence against Asians during the pandemic. The perpetrator was a 23-year-old man from Yemen. Prosecutors determined they lacked enough evidence to prove a racist motive, although the attacker was charged with attempted murder, but not as a hate crime. This announcement outraged Asian Americans to the point where they protested outside of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. They were demanding the stabbing be prosecuted as a hate crime. These racist assaults were being overlooked by the authorities, people who are supposed to protect us. Let's call it what it is, said Don Lee, a community activist who spoke at the rally. These are not random attacks. We're asking for recognition that these crimes are happening. That was only one example from one community. As we discussed in the last episode, George Floyd was murdered on May 25th, 2020, because an officer suffocated him with his knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I wanna go deeper into the protest and brutality surrounding BLM. In July of 2020, Tiana Arada helped organize an anti-racism protest. The rally started at a local park. At some point, more than 300 protesters blocked traffic. Police says that there's at least two cars that were vandalized. Arada, a 20-year-old college student, was arrested. She was taken into custody on suspicion of eight charges, four felony counts on false imprisonment, one felony account of conspiracy, and three misdemeanor counts for resisting and obstructing a peace offer participating in a riot and unlawful assembly. All this according to the police department. She was released later that day with zero bond. The last thing we talked about came from Los Angeles Times. Our next article is coming from AIUSA International. They documented at least six incidents of police using batons and 13 instances of the use of kinetic impact projectiles. They would use sponge rounds and rubber bullets in 13 cities across the U.S. AIUSA found numerous cases of the unnecessary use of tear gas and pepper spray. Those two things were used as a first resort. 89 cases of use in 34 states and 21 instances of unlawful use of pepper spray in 15 states. For this next part, I'll be giving you a couple quotes coming from AIUSA International. 17-year-old Elena Thoman who was tear gassed by the police in Denver. At first it feels like you're chopping onions and then escalates to the point where your skin is burning. I had a lot of open skin and it was burning for an hour. It made me cough a lot. I had to take my mask off because the mask had tear gas in it. So even though there was COVID, I had to take my mask off. This quote comes from illegal observer Jack, who was beaten by the police in Chicago. Three to four more officers who were behind me pulled me up into a concrete barrier and threw me over onto a wheelchair ramp. I landed on my back and lost my hat. I was looking around when three or four other officers started hitting me with batons. 
Another protester tried to stop the police, and they started hitting him. People were yelling, legal observer, as it was happening. I was crouched, trying to protect myself, and telling them, I'm not resisting, I'm not resisting. The reason I talk about Asian hate crimes and BLM protests is because those are two very important events in today's world and in the hate you give. Maya is an Asian American, and she's friends with Star and Haley. Towards the end of the book, Maya tells Star that Haley has made a racist comment about her and her family during their Thanksgiving break freshman year. This is on page 251. Freshman year, first period, Mrs. Edwards' biology class. We just gotten back from Thanksgiving break. Class hadn't started yet, and we were talking about what we did for Thanksgiving. I told you guys my grandparents visited, and it was their first time celebrating Thanksgiving. Haley asked if we ate a cat, because we're Chinese. And I talked about BLM because obviously this book is surrounded by this, but I also made a connection to the book in the article when Star, her brother, friends, and boyfriend went to the garden during the protest. During this protest, Star ended up getting on top of a car and faces all the protesters. We weren't doing anything wrong. Not only did Officer Cruz assume we were up to no good, he assumed we were criminals. Well, Officer Cruz is the criminal. This came from pages 411 and 412. After Star makes this statement, the crowd chants Khalil lived over and over again. One officer then proceeds to say, you have until the count of three to disperse, page 412. The officer then throws the tear gas right by the patrol car where Star is standing. Star jumps off the car and picks up the can of tear gas and throws it back over to the cops. The gas explodes in the air and consumes everyone. That quote was pages 412 and 413. For my ending comment, I wanted to say, as Miss Ofra has always said in the book, your voice is your biggest weapon, so use it. The relationship with racism in my life fortunately hasn't been very intertwined. And I've never had anyone be deliberately racist towards me, so I am very lucky. But thoughts like that are always in the back of my mind. Like if I get pulled over, I sometimes think this man could end my life and get away with it. So comply with everything that he says. And it's the fear of dying that makes me want to make the officer feel safe, as safe as possible. Not the fear of a ticket, not the fear of arrest. I've heard plenty of stories from my parents to great, great grandparents of racist comments, treatment, redlining, and innuendos. And they all have shown me that some people in this world are just so provoked by the presence of a different race that they ignore everything else about the person and judge their whole character based on the color of their skin, which is wrong. Hey, this is Anthony, back for part three of our podcast. My relationship with this issue is not a lot, honestly. I haven't experienced racism as much in my life because I've been inside, really. And um, when I was younger, I was probably too oblivious to understand what racism was. So I really don't have a relationship with this issue as much because... I'm usually inside, you know, and um, 
I know that it's really hard being a minority in the United States. I know it has affected my lifestyle and how my parents are cautious on where I go and to be safe and to make smart decisions when I go out of the house. I know parents are definitely scared for their children, especially since we all started driving. We are becoming young, young adults, but we just need to listen to our parents and most we will most likely be fine. And if we do that, what they told us to do in certain situations, we should be fine. And to be respectable to others. The book The Hate You Give has many instances where it reflects the current U.S. culture. To start, we look at how segregated the book is. If you look on one end, there's a suburban neighborhood, mostly white, that doesn't experience any sort of crime or violence. On the other end, we see a poor neighborhood, mostly black, that is riddled with gangs and violence. This is called residential segregation, and it could be, so it could be seen commonly throughout the country. For example, according to FacingSouth.org, Atlanta, Georgia is among one of the most segregated cities in America. Atlanta has a black population of 54% and a white of only 36. 92% of African Americans that live in Atlanta, Georgia live in the northwest, southwest, and southeast parts of Atlanta. The northeastern parts of Atlanta are made up of 80% of the white population. The other obvious thing that reflects the culture in the U.S. right now is the killing of unarmed African Americans. We see this in the situation with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Elijah McClain. In the book, Quill was killed for looking like a threat. There was no evidence against them that proved he threatened or was going to threaten anyone. People try to justify the murders by bringing up their past and talking about how they were a criminal. Like with George Floyd, he had passed arrests and charges, but this should not justify the police killing him. Just like how Cleo was supposedly a drug dealer, if we want to fix anything, we have to stray away from trying to justify these murders.